Yo, 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 yo. Welcome to episode number 98 of the Basketball Card Podcast. Today is a special episode. I'm grateful and happy to have my friend Lior Avidar here on the episode. Uh, Lior, is, I think most of you know, is the CEO of all, but more importantly for, for this episode, uh, Lior is an awesome collector and somebody who... Um, somebody who I end up trying to win stuff against sometimes, sometimes we try to trade and stuff like that. So we thought we'd have a cool collector's conversation today. Lior, how you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good, man. 98. That's a lot. That's awesome. You've come, a, you've come a long way. I wish I would have had the, the 88 double Kobe. <laughs> the double Kobe. Well, when we do episode 224, we'll have you back. Done. <laughs> That'll be in like 10 years from now with how, with how long no. I take to do these things. Um, when as we start, there's like there's three segments to every show. This is how I think about this show. This first segment, I want to talk to you about your collecting. I want to talk about like your your beginnings and stuff like that, and like like you know, how you sort of got to where where you got to. In the middle, I want to talk about like what your favorite cards are right now and uh, what you're looking for in your collection. If you can talk about some of those things, I know you may want to like hold back some secrets there. And then in the last section, I want to talk about what the last couple of years have been like for you. It's been a crazy ride for all of us, but most of us have no idea what it's been like to be the CEO of a big company in the world of, of cards. So let's talk about your collecting. Like, tell me why you, why you collect, what you collect, what, what you got you into it and like how you got here. Yeah. I mean, I think everybody has their, their evolution. So I started kind of collecting when I was a kid, right? Like I, I wouldn't say I collected, I didn't have a hundred cards, but I would go buy packs. I would really enjoy, you know, reading the cards on the back. And, uh, you know, once in a while, if I was a good kid, I would go buy cards. And so amassed a really small collection of mostly stuff uh, in the nineties. And then kind of fast forward to 2016, my parents moved. And so lo and behold, they asked me, what do I want to do with my, my cards? Right. And so they sent it to me to California and I think that's when I rediscovered cards. You know, the I remember the first kind of idea I had was, man, I really want to get that Kobe EX2000. That was like the first card that I never had when I was a kid. And now that I could afford buying a box for the first time in my life, I want that card, right? So the EX2000 was really the, ch the first chase, right? And, you know, I bought the box on eBay. I remember it was like 300 something bucks back then. It was insane. I got the EX2000. I mean, there's only like 70 something cards in that set, maybe 80, right? And so now, you know, you get the card that you want. The next thing you do, you start looking up the value, right? And so I started learning about grading. And so I only sent my first card into grading in 2016, in June 2016. I remember it was like, a, it was an Iverson EX2000, some like old Dennis Rodman cards that I had. Um, and so once I started getting into the world of grading, some of my like financial, like I started my career as a trader, my, I started thinking about trading cards as actual trading. So that's what got me to like really start, you know, outside of the passion. I was like, Hey, I wonder if I can, if there's money to be made in this. Right. And so I was buying cards raw, getting them graded, selling them, keeping things that I really liked trading. And honestly, I did that for the greater part of I mean, from probably 2016 to 2020, right? Like those four years, like I went hard. I started off, I wanted every single Kobe, every single Kobe card in a PSA 10, right? And I actually, in the, 
I think, I think outside of two or three in, in 1996, I got every single one of them. Like I which, had, which didn't you get? I couldn't get the credentials. Yep. Uh, cr uh, the, yeah, the credentials PSA 10. And there was one legacy that I could never get my hands on that it's one of the, I don't know which one is the, it's not zero. It might be row two, right? I always get those two confused. I always get one and two confused, but I, but zero is the one that sort of, sort of stands out to me. Yeah. Do you exactly. still, do you still have most of those or did you end up, did you end up moving most of those? I sold, so I sold most of them when I did the evolution into like super fractors and yeah. all their serial numbered cards. Yep. I kept, I have the row zero and I have the row one. So you still have the like, okay. So let, here's, here's a, a fun, just a fun, quick, quick question. So which is better, the Chrome refractor or the credentials? Credentials. Well, in what grade? Just leave it open. Which one's better? I like the credentials a little bit more. Okay. Just per, I mean, okay. I, I think it's because my attachment to the EX2000. Which is better, the credentials or the Rose Zero Legacy? The credentials. Ah, I love it. I love that. Why? To me, it's his best. It's the it's it's the best rookie card. Again, I have an attachment to the. And again, there's 500 of them, so it's not like the rarest thing in the world. But the the green one, you know, was my holy grail as a kid, and I like that the white one now is the holy grail to me right now. Like the Chrome Refractor PSA 10. There's many of them. You know what I mean? Like you you kind of see a couple every single year. The EX credentials 2000, you don't see them pop up and, you know, and I think it's a pop four, if I remember correctly. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So I know I've like totally gone off script and like completely interrupted you. So forgive me for that. But I like, I've got to ask these questions because I think no. super important. So you're given a chance right now, put, put economics out of your mind completely. Somebody yeah. has one of the two black label chrome refractors and somebody has a credentials PSA 10. They're both in front of you. You get to pick one. Which one do you pick? I have no interest in the black label. Like zero, like zero and like negative. Why? Interest. Why? So, okay. We can get into the world of grading, but you know, having done grading at mass scale and done them with the both the grading companies, I, I want, if I'm buying a grade, I'm buying the grading company and I'm buying their ability to be objective and everything that I know about Beckett and grading is the inconsistencies. The black label means, means nothing to me. It's just a mm. random day on a random that someone got, you know, they flipped a coin and you got a black label. And so again, that, because that's a, how I feel about the grading process, I won't, pay, I just, I own zero black labels. I've never owned a black label, barely own any Beckett cards. Um, you know, it's why I'm very fond of like everything that Nat's doing at PSA right now. It It's, that process means a lot to me. That's what I'm buying. At the, like I'm buying the condition. So random condition doesn't really appeal to me for some reason. Credentials all day long. Okay. I, lo I love the answer. It's pop four to pop two. They're easily his two most iconic rookie cards. There's no question about that. I think the difference between the row zero and the legacy is really, uh, I'm sorry, the, the row zero legacy and the credentials is really close to me. Those are the two that I'm personally most interested in. I own a, chrome refractor and the credentials myself but i think i think your answer is great and the way that, that you differentiated that was great and i apologize for totally totally interrupting but but you you went from this world of like kobe rookies and collecting all this this kobe stuff to and move sort of moving away from 
I don't want to say moving away from condition because you still cared about condition. But then I remember, like, I remember when you got to the point where you had like a, you had like a BGS eight or 8.5 Kobe PMG red and you, yeah. and you cracked Crack. that and sent it to PSA and it got like a, a four or five or whatever. But, but that, that era for me, for you represented the, I'm moving away from Kobe and I'm moving into the, the rarer stuff. And can you talk about that? Like what, what the story with that was? Yeah. So, you know, you said everyone has sets their, their, their collecting goal. So the first collecting goal was let's get every single Kobe rookie card right in PSA 10. Um, and then that grew to, okay, let's get the biggest master set of Kobe Bryant. So I was number one on PSA for the longest time of just having the most Kobe PSA 10 cards. So I really, I really liked that chase. And I think that came from like a place of OCD and perfection, which is like, I aspire in a lot of things in my life. But then, you know, as I was, you know, going through the years to get the master collection, when you start getting to the really rare cards, you cannot get a 10. You know what I mean? What happens if your PSA, your, your pop one, one of one gets a PSA six, how does that make you feel? And so as I started getting more of these, I was like, I really like the rarity of the card, even sometimes more than the grade. Right. And so, you know, I don't have unlimited budget. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to take a lot of these Kobe's that are not grit, that are not uh, serial numbered. And I'm going to start transitioning them into other things. Like I had, I mean, I think I've shared some of these stories. At one point out of the Topps Chrome base rookies, I think there were 787 PSA 10s uh, back in, at least in like 2019, I had like 90 of them, right? Like I was just buying everything in bulk, right? And then, you know, the Topps and the Bowman's Best, it's like, you know, you see people today with lots of like the, the prism, the silver prisms, right? Mm -hmm. I also started that way, right? And then at one point I was like, like there's just too many of them. It's just not rare. You know what I mean? It's like it, these things won't appreciate. Like it's no one's chasing them. You know what I mean? Or people chase them, but then, you know, you trade them into something else because you can always get it back. Right. So I started, I wanted to go after the hard stuff, right? I wanted to go after the really hard stuff. And I wanted to go after the stuff that like I liked, right? There's rare stuff that I don't like that I won't go after. And so um, I'm trying to think on how I even got to my first super fractor. I don't even, I can't, I can't remember the story off the, the top of my head. Ah, now I remember. So before I went to one of ones, I ended up taking my Kobe collection. I love Topps Chrome, right? So I wanted to get the Topps Chrome rainbow in PSA 10, right? That's where I really started. So there's a lot of old photos. I completed the top. I had the, I had every single Chrome card. Like I've had every single Chrome and I had the best grade of every single one of them. And I took ra the rainbow pictures. I like have them all on my stories, uh, just to, or uh, on my posts just to remember. So I did, I, for years, I was going after the Chrome master set for Kobe and I got which, a which goes just to be clear, which goes the entire length of Chrome. It goes from 1996 to 2009 and you have super fractors from 2004 all the way through 2009, six years. Yeah. To this day, it's cemented. You can tell me a card. I can tell you if there's a PSA 10 or not. What's going on? Like 2009 gold, there's six PSA 9s. I graded every single one of those. Cannot get a PSA 10. That one is completely off center every single time. I mean, there's 41 more. I really hope someone gets a PSA 10, but that was a really long chase. And they're going to ask me for what kind of car. I would love to own that car just because I've been trying to get it for so long. Um, what, about the, what about the 2009 Kobe Super? Do you know what the story with that one is? I remember it went for auction on eBay, 
when I okay. was collecting, but I don't know who got it. And it went for $4,900. I remember like watching it. I know you and I have both missed two super fractors, you know, and um, I've been lucky we, that I've gotten the rest, but can we tell, can we tell the story about the 2006? Cause that's what in, in, in hopes that in hopes that it comes out. <laughs> so anyway, I'll, I'll no, don't, this. Tell, don't tell anyone who the guy is, but wait, do you still message the guy every single month? Just like I do. Totally. To yeah. And he never responds. Is it even so, let, red on yours? What's that? Does it so red or does he not even see it? He doesn't even see it. Yeah. No. Uh, so we so, both got blocked. I wonder, I wonder if he died or something. And I should, I don't say that jokingly. I just, he, he was, he was returning my message. So let me, let me go back. So for everybody to hear the story, there was a time uh, several years ago where I acquired a Kobe patch card from, from this guy um, on eBay. And it was a really nice patch. It was from O2 ultimate. And he and I talked a little bit and he, he had, we ended up connecting. He like started an Instagram account and we ended up connecting over. He had an ultimate collection autograph Kobe. That was so sick. It was like one of the sickest cards I've seen. And so I kept trying and trying and trying to get probably this card from this guy. And then one day he goes, what do you know about this card? And he drops this image and it's the 06 Chrome Kobe Superfractor, one of the best Kobe Bryant cards, bar none, in existence. And I see it and I'm like, holy crap. Like, I have to figure out a way to try to get this card from this guy. And so I start just making offers. And I start at one price and I'm immediately just like accelerating, doing whatever I can to get the card. And then somewhere in this process, do you remember how we realized that you and I were the two guys that were both messaging him and just bidding each other up? Do you remember? I remember we put two together in our chat, but I remember we were both then asking each other, okay, how high are we bidding each other up? Right. Um, <laughs> and I remember you being like, I'm like, I need this card. Like I have every single other one. Like I cannot not have this card. Well, and I wanted just one of them. I wanted to be, I wanted to be in that game. Right. I don't care. I don't have to get all of them. I know I can't get all of them. But if I can get one, then yeah. and, and I think you and I both like I consider myself a Kobe collector, right? Like my favorite cards are Kobe Bryant cards. I, I love Kobe. I love Kobe's story. I love I love I love that we knew him from the like basically from when he was a kid. Right. Like we we got to watch him grow and evolve. I just I love the whole the whole Kobe Bryant, like the whole Kobe Bryant story. And so I feel like some of the cards that I love the most are of Kobe. And I always wanted to have a super fractor. He only has, I did the math on, I think he has 22 base card superfractors, period. I've got one, not, not a chrome. It's not a chrome. There's only six chromes. And yeah. so we're both just bidding each other up. And I, the, the thing that I think happened, man, I think somebody else bought it from him. And that other person said, hey, don't tell anybody else that, that I bought this. Because I think we could both figure out probably who the other person is who, who was willing to, to buy the. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Well, so well, anyway, let's, 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 we've really gone off the rails here. Let's go to our first break. And uh, when we come back, we will talk about what things Lior is looking for. Today. Do you grade your cards? Grading can preserve, protect, and beautify your cards. Well, maybe not all grading companies beautify the cards they grade, but CGC sure does. CGC slabs are so much nicer than the other big three that I send all of my PC cards to them for slabbing. Not only do they make the cards look amazing, but they are ultra durable. I used to think that a slab could only be super clear or super strong, but then CGC showed up. 
Check them out at cgccards.com today. All right, we're back. So awesome first segment, Leor. Let's let's talk now about about where you're collecting his. We know that you got into the the rare serial numbered stuff. We talked about the PMGs and the super fractors. Um, for those people who don't know, you know, definitely go look at the gems. Is it gems underscore only? Is that right? Gems eight. underscore only eight for Kobe. Go look at the gems underscore only eight uh, Instagram Instagram account, and especially scroll down to like the some of the older cards, the super fractors, the 08 supers of Kobe and LeBron on the one card, the LeBron chalk toss. Uh, Durant, if I remember right, um, other super fractors, tons of Kobe supers. I know you don't still have all of them, but like a ton of some of the key, really rare Kobe cards and other and other cards of the era. Like, what what are you looking for today? Like, what belongs in in the Lior collection at this point? That's that's not there. Yeah. What do you hope to see pop up at some point? So I can't give away all the secrets because I find that as soon as I say I'm going after stuff, like I basically it's the end of my journey of collecting it. Um, and the first day that everyone starts, you know, charging me for X. So I'll tell you this, I think, you know, Kobe was the goat, right? And I really like playing day cards. So I don't really buy any of the Kobe cards that they make today. So, you know, there's a couple of Kobe cards that I'm always chasing and the right, you know, something that fits really nicely into my collection, but I've expanded to other players. Right. And so, you know, I'm, I'm always trying to figure out like whose story resonates with me, um, so I, I really like Giannis, to be quite honest. Like, I'm a big Giannis guy. Um, people hate on Durant, but I like Durant. You know, I think I overlapped a lot when he was in San Francisco and in New York. And so, like, he's kind of gone on a similar journey than me. So I like Durant. Um, Edwards, uh, Anthony Edwards. So I've been – I really enjoy, like, his playing style. Um so I'm always adding new people. I think that's the the part that I've changed a little bit is I'm, I do like modern. I'm more of a modern guy. Um, I don't really buy too many, you know, hall of fame players. Um, you know, I, I like unique sets. I would say one of the things that, um, I like cards that just speak to me, you know, I, and I love sets that speak to me and nobody else. That's actually like my favorite type of set. Cause you know, when you go on eBay and you're buying stuff for 25 bucks and it makes you feel as good as buying something for 16 grand, right? Yeah. So I have a lot of those right now. Like I'm buying a lot of cards for 25 bucks, 50 bucks that are rare and I just like them. And maybe people haven't figured out that those sets are cool or I'm, maybe I'm just the only one that really likes them, right? But that's what I'm collecting right now. And it's not your, like, it's not, pris you know, it's not Prism. You know what I mean? It's like some of the offshoot brands that I just... I think are cool. You know what I mean? And like, I just have a lot of fun building the sets, buying the cards, getting the rare stuff and that kind of running into all the peoples and the kind of the, you know, the crazy auction prices. So I would say that's where the majority of my collecting is going is collecting the players that I like, right. I mentioned, you know, some of them in these unique brands and unique inserts that again, speak to me that I think are really cool. So I've got a follow-up question on the modern stuff. I have noticed that you don't do, a lot of retired guys. I think Kobe's probably the exception. You did some Iverson stuff at, at one point too, right? Or am I remembering that wrong? I had, I had some Iverson. Yeah. A little bit. Okay. I don't so, really but on the modern stuff, this is something that I think about a lot. So a lot of people get into cards because it's like a tangible form of 
like fantasy, like a fantasy league, right? It's like an, exactly. I can own a piece of the player. And then as that player performs well, I believe that there's a good chance that thing will increase in value and people like that element, right? But what's really interesting about that is we all know that as a process, like that will come to an end and what you'll be left. Oh, shoot. You still there? Yeah, sorry. Um, what you'll be left with is like a guy whose career is over and that fantasy element of it is now gone. It no yeah. longer exists. So how do we like, is is this like a conundrum in our hobby that is like just not solvable that, that there's some of it that's just always going to be part of like what follows them. And then at the end, there's always going to be a dip. There's always going to be a dip because that I'm, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm not trying to make myself sound like I think I'm really smart, but I feel like as a player is coming to their end of their career, I almost have a hard time holding their cards because I believe that there's a very good chance that like during that last couple of years, it's probably we're seeing it with LeBron right now, right? Like a lot of LeBron stuff has, has come down as people have realized, wow, we're getting close to the end because that look forward isn't the same as it was five years ago. Yeah. I don't know if I share the similar opinion. I mean, listen, I collect and I like modern players because I like investing in them. And I want to and I want to see if I'm a good predictor on who's going to have a successful career on the court and off the court. Right. And so ultimately, I think all of us who want to buy it to invest or basically estimating supply and demand of this card over the course of time. Right. Um, player does well, player goes to a big city, gets traded, gets, you know, gets it voted into the all-star game, wins the MVP, demand of that player goes up, right? Um, now when they retire, the, the supply stops, right? Or not, you know, it used to stop now it's, you know, there's obviously new stuff. And so, um, you know, it, it, it's unclear what will happen with demand to be right. quite honest, right? A lot of the really rare stuff we haven't seen that for retired players so there's almost like i'm not exactly sure like i'll, I'll be honest i think if there was a one of one purple credentials right kobe it would just be going up all time it, you would never part ways with it you know what i mean so I, I actually don't think it i think if you buy a player and you speculate and then they retire i do think the value will still go up over time so I didn't mention LeBron, but I also like collecting LeBron for that exact same reason. I think LeBron, I think people will will want to get his really rare cards. I think people who collected him and as they, you know, as they grow in their career and in their lives and they earn and they get more discretionary income, they're going to try to buy the cards that they never could before. And yeah. if you want to get the LeBron grail, it's just going to cost more money over time. So um, it just needs to settle into its value. And I think a lot for over the last three years, it's hard to really know something's real value because the market has shifted so much, right? Mm -hmm. And I think now we're starting to get into a really healthy state. So, you know, we, there was a literal bubble in the card in the card space, you know what I mean? And so now it's healthy. You can see what about what normal appreciation will look like. I love the answer. Let me let me just give a, a quick quick return to that, and then and then then we'll move on to the next thing. So, from my perspective. The player, when they're very early on, has potential, and people buy on that potential. Right now, that's Wembenyama and Chet Holmgren, but mostly like Wembenyama is one of the tops, or probably eight guys we've seen over the last three decades in terms of like what could this potentially become. And then at some point, it becomes about like, okay, where, what are you doing now? People are no longer buying as much on potential, but like, 
what are you doing now? How are you succeeding? Are you not succeeding? It's like a day to day usually happens. One more, say that one more time. Like year three, four in their career. Yes. Right? 100%. Yes. So then, and then that, and that continues for some period of time. And then, and, and people are, people are like playing fantasy in a lot of ways with these cards. And then the point comes where, where LeBron has been at for a long time, I think, where it's like, wow, like this guy is still really amazing. He's still one of the best players in the world, but like the end is coming. It's like, we can see he's not what he was. And, and so the people who were buying in because they wanted to buy potential or the people who were buying in because of the accolades that he would get, some of those people don't see that anymore. And so now they've stopped buying in the same way, but at the same time, there are people always who want to own the cards forever. There are people always who are collecting, who want to own them for how great they were. And that actually, ironically, that's where almost all of my collection is, right? Almost everything that I own, maybe everything that I own is about what you have done, not what you're going to do and owning the card because I want to own it as part of my collection and not because it's like a, I'm going to buy in on it while they're, while they're sort of going through this process. But having said that, like, I get, I get that people want to buy stuff on like, like with the, I get, I get every element of it and I've done every element of it. But I think if you were to look at the whole curve and say, where are we with a given player or even with a given set, it would be so interesting to sort of like diagnose why things have increased and decreased the way they have. I think most of the time it's because of career arc. I think it, I think that's a, a huge part of it. Yeah. Well now more so than ever, one of the things that I, I look, look a lot about, and I would say one of the reasons of what I do, what I do, the card market was not efficient up until 2020. There was too much information asymmetry. And so card prices, you know, it's a lot of reasons why people made a lot of money because you can buy a card for, you know, 200 bucks and sell it the next day to 10 grand if you knew what it was worth and someone else didn't, right? It wasn't efficient. So card prices didn't really have a, nor uh, a trajectory that had to do with supply demand that was connected to the player performance. Fast forward to today with so much price transparency in the market, right? The supply and demand is literally dictated by the player performance, right? So I think we're going to see more and more correlation. And I think that's really healthy. Like to your point, I don't think the, the hobby as you talk about it today for modern players, that fantasy, I don't think it was like that seven years ago. I really mm. don't. I think it was more from a fandom experience and just, you know, people were buying it to collect. I think now you, because of if someone goes really well, you can see that appreciation of 40%, right? Especially in quarterbacks, if they have a really good season. I mean, you're seeing multiple increments on your cost right in less than a year if you can predict certain things correctly right there's a real business there's a real opportunity to be made in an efficient market that wasn't the case before if you have the right thesis right now you can make money right and so i find that to be really cool like there's it allows people to collect in different ways right what do you, you got go for what it. do you think change what do you think changed like, did we just get smarter as a people? Was it was it the businesses that came that gave us things like indexes to, or indices to teach us some of these things? What what made us what made us sort of at a higher level now than we were seven years ago? Yeah, honestly, I think a lot of it has to do with Alton Card Ladder uh, as the base of the data of the hobby. Like having a centralized like place where you can actually not only like find the data. Like we had Tarek Peak before. There were other tools, right? There's 137. Those gave you the, the data, but it, it made it really hard for you to triangulate the price, right? 
And now that the price is being triangulated and you have all the data, so you can create your own valuation and someone can help you as a starting point, right? It really made it efficient. I mean, I don't know if you can tell that if you feel a difference, but I knew how much I was able to sell cards for, you know, pre all of these tools, right? Like it could be a really wide margin. These days, it's very hard for me to sell something above one of these prices because everyone has access to it. You know what I mean? Um, I, I feel like that's mostly true. I guess I still... I still have lots of questions about the rarest stuff, like the one of one stuff that it, it has a delta of like, I mean, just giant, giant ranges. That's at least that's how I feel. Do you feel like that or am I am I 100%, wrong? 100%. No one can predict. You really can't predict the value of a one of one completely, right? Because one of one is really what someone else is going to be paying for. And so that multiple over whatever card comp you're going to use, there is such a wide range so many different outliers right that have happened over time if you want that card some people will pay 30x the gold some people will pay 2x the gold you know what i mean so yeah. the one of one is the exception to the rule to every rule the 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 le the lower the rarity the easier it is to predict the price right like you know internally for alt value as an example we have accuracy right we have internal accuracy metrics the more it trades the more accurate we can get the less it trades the the rarer the serial number, you know, the less accurate we can be, right? But yeah, you know, that's how that's how predicting works. It's never it's always within a range. Awesome, dude! Great conversation. It feels to me like there's a standard deviation that exists on regular stuff that's really small, and then the rarer you get, I think that's what you're saying. The rarer that you get, the higher that standard deviation gets. So you know, you know, I like uh, you like numbers. So I'll give you an idea. I think the best predictors in the world. And, you know, we go around, we measure the predictability. Like we have a machine that predicts it and we have humans who predict the values of cards. A human can predict the card, the best human within 20, it's, it's like an average accuracy of 20%. That means plus or minus 10%, right? Of where the card is. That is the best human using all the comp data that they can get. That's world-class 20%, right? A machine, a machine's never going to be as good as a human. It can't be better, right? A machine can do it at around 30% accuracy. Mm. Just to give you an idea, right? Super interesting. Um, okay. Cards. Sorry, say that one more time. I catch you off. It's across all cards. So just to give you an idea of how accurate, you know, people can actually estimate cards. Do you find yourself being more interested to cards that are lacking a predictable price? Uh, cards, yeah, because rare cards are hard to, to predict the price. Um, I don't know if I, even for cards that I know the price, I still like it. I'm just more attracted to, to rarity. Um, again, I, I also like the $25 cards. Like if you're looking at my eBay account and my alt account recently, you're going to laugh because I probably, the last like 50 cards that I've purchased are like under 300 bucks. You know what I but mean? They're, but they're still rare, right? They are still rare. So yes. that's my point is that I do feel like I feel like people who have been around for a long like the, the, the normal the normal curve or there is a curve of collectors that start with like a certain kind of card and then time goes by and they just get more and more into the niche different stuff. And, and I don't and I think sometimes we as content creators like almost push people that way. And I don't want to do that because I want people I genuinely want people to collect what they like. And sometimes you want to collect things that other people have. Like there, there are people who are like that. But mm. I am like you in this. I I find myself my my average sort of like print run of cards in my collection 
is probably half today of what it was five years ago. I would, I would agree. I've also been doing that. Yeah. That, that's, that, that really resonates. Yeah. The, the sharing the cards part, I like having a card, not necessarily the same card as somebody else, but I like having the card in the same set that somebody else has. Like, I feel like like a piece to a puzzle, but not the same piece. Right. Um, so like the fact that you have a Yao super and I have a Yao super, right. I like that. That like brings us together, you know what I mean? Versus the same Yao card. Right. Like, um, when I bought, I bought a, I bought an Anthony Bennett, um, Anthony Bennett, number one pick of the 2013 draft logo man auto out of NT. And who was the first person who I texted? Who? Darius. Oh, right. Right. Because it's like, it's a common thing. It's like a, Hey, I know you love this thing. Even though I know like, you know, he might've, he might've been bidding against me. He might not, he might. It might be dumb, but he he will get it because there's this element of similarity in something that we both appreciate. Yeah. When I was bidding on the Kobe logo mania, I was talking to Darius about it because yeah. I, I I wanted I you know I know that he gets that and um those those are really cool moments in the hobby. I'm glad you brought that up. That's very yeah. cool. I think I, I think that it's that shared thing. Like you have your own, but it's shared. I think that's that's part that's really like that's a cool juxtaposition. So what? I know you say you don't want to give me, give away any secrets, but I'm gonna push you a little bit. Is there anything out there that you're just like, I'd love to see that come to market? It's something that like I'd like to see how how the hobby handles it, and it's something that I might may or may not be interested in. Not sure. I like. What do you mean? Like a type of card or? Well, there's there's things that we see all the time or things that are like things that we see all the time, right? Like you could say, well, I'd love to see a Jordan Green. You Uh, wouldn't say that because that's not your card, right? But like, what would you like to see come up and just to see how, like, because you you have such uncertainty around how maybe the market might handle it. That's a really interesting question. Um, would i like to see i never thought about it that way well like so you guys alt purchased the uh, majority share of the steph curry logo man auto yeah we own, the, we own the whole thing now you own the whole thing now. okay yeah when that happened that was a game changer in terms of oh my goodness this is the biggest we all i think agree that's the biggest panini era card there is period it's the best card from the whole era I would have loved to see that hit thing hit open auction personally, because I, I, I would love to know what the world, how the world would value that. Because we, we don't, we we have our predictors, but we don't really know. And as you sort of acknowledge, like one of ones are really tough. So, like, is there something else like that where you're like, I would just love to see what? Because I don't know who would come to market. I don't know what they'd be willing to pay. Okay, this is gonna be, be really crazy. So, okay. I really like the My House set. Um, okay. Yeah, <laughs> I told you these were so. Yeah, the My House set. It's it. Every year they take kind of a pose, like it's a really, like it's like I don't. You, you don't. Do you know? You, do you know the card? Do you know the set yeah, that I'm talking about? Totally. I would like to see a Kobe My House. Does a Kobe My House exist? I don't even know if it does. No, no, no. Okay, you just like to see it created. I see. I see where you. Yeah, where I would like to see right. that. I would like to see that created. Um. Like I like a lot of the modern stuff better than uh, some of the older cards, to be quite honest. So I wouldn't want the older stuff recreated. Like I love the really colorful stuff, and I like the really shiny stuff. Um, like I really hope that when 
Topps Chrome comes back with a license, which we know it will in a, in a couple of years, that they just, that they don't just go back to the old designs, but they actually add an evolution to them. Like some new colorways would be really cool. Um, we're, we're almost out of time and I've, I've sent you off in a, a crazy direction on this. I want to keep going, but yeah. let's, let's go to our last break and then let's come talk about like where, where we see the hobby, where you see the hobby going over the course of the next couple of years. I'll, I want to give, I'm going to give you one card that I think they should make. They should go okay. back. Top should go back to 2007 and they should redo the Chrome X fractors and create a gold so that Kevin Durant has a gold. And I would like to buy that Kevin Durant gold card and because he deserves a gold card in that year. So I think they should do that as a unique, as a unique thing for one of the years, just like go back and give Katie a Durant, like a, a gold card. 100% they'll do something like that. It's too good of an idea. Um, have you ever seen the the Durant Super? Have you tried to? I bet you've tried to track it down, though. Am I right? I've tried that and the Curry. I think the Curry has been pulled. I think the person might have been might have confused it for a base card because that year it was really hard to tell. Hmm. Interesting. We might never see that. All right, here we go. Going to break. Most of you know about PWCC. What you might not know is how much of the market share of auctions PWCC has taken from eBay. Every week, over 10,000 auctions, including thousands of basketball cards, end on the PWCC marketplace. If you haven't joined, it's super easy. It takes only a few minutes to register and begin bidding on everything from $5 cards to million-dollar cards. What are you waiting for? Register today at pwccmarketplace.com and start bidding. All right, we're back. We're low on time. I promised Lure we'd get out of here by a certain time. That gives us seven minutes. I literally have 20 questions, but I'm going to put them all in the back of my mind right now. So we've had a crazy couple of years. You've had a bird's eye view of insanity in the hobby. Tell me what the last couple of years have been like in a couple of sentences and tell me where you see us going now. I mean, it's been wild, right? Like I've, I do have a different lens, right? So you see the craziness going on in the hobby from the bubble to the crash all at once. And then I get the, you know, the pleasure of building a company with a bunch of passionate people in the card space every single day. I mean, that's, you know, it's a dream job. Like I, you know, I started the company cause I loved cards and like, I get to do that and doing that through an up market and then a down market, right? The amount of like feelings that you go through as a team together it's a journey and I, I like it. Like, you know, this is not my first, you know, rodeo and I've been at it with a couple of people now for four years. I mean, you know, darn Chris, you know, like, you know, first two people that I asked to join the company. Right. Um, it's, it's been crazy. I tell them, I'm like, I always go around taking pictures of everything. Cause I know what the end looks like. And I'm like, guys, you're gonna, you're not gonna remember this. You know, this is, this is the fun part. I was like, we're going to be, we're nobody's right now. No one cares about us. You know, it's going to be really tough, right? We have to earn trust and it's really tough. And there, you know, there are days that all of us, you know, I remember darn Chris, oh, this is never going to work, Lior. Why did you bring us here? You know, to a point where now you fast forward over four years and you start seeing a lot of your, the fruits of your labor come true. Right. And it, and it feels really good. You know what I mean? And so you have the company, you have the emotional roller coaster of creating a company, which for those that haven't done it, it is it is like the craziest roller coaster. You get the high highs and the low lows, and sometimes they're in the in the same hour. And then you juxtapose that to 
everything that's going around with the card hobby and in the market, you have two emotional roller coasters going on at the exact same time. It's very stressful. You know what I mean? For a lot of people, it can be very stressful. But, um, you know, I believe we're at the other side of, of the market and things. And I, I honestly, I just enjoy what I do so much. And um, I have a very bullish outlook on the hobby at this point. Um, you know, I've seen it. I've you know, I've been it really deep in it for the last eight years. I understand the passion that people have in this space. The passion is not going anywhere, right? The tooling is getting a lot better, right? A lot of money is getting poured into this space. We're getting a lot of really smart collectors who understand business. We're trying to build into this space. I can only be bullish. Like there's no signal in there that to me is, is negative. All of them are really bullish. And I think we're cleaning out a lot of the bad stuff that existed in the hobby. Right. And it creates a lot of uneasiness, but I do see it going away. Dude, fantastic. What do you think, or what do you wish people knew that they don't know? And what do you wish people in the hobby knew as a whole? Like, maybe this is a weird question. I don't know, but like, yeah. you, you got that bird's eye view. What do you wish people, like a lot of collectors, and maybe some people know whatever the fact is that you're, that you're considering right now. Um, what do you wish that you that people knew about the hobby that are mainstream hobbyists that they don't know? Man, always you, you throw me for some hard ones. What do people? What do I want people to know that they might not know? I mean, they might be hard questions because they're just not clear too. You know, you know, I, I think there's a lot of marketplaces still, right? And I think it's not always clear where cards are being sold, right? So, um, I, you know, I want people to know about alt. You know what I mean? That's always like you know. I really do believe I'm building a homepage for the hobby. That's my goal for the long term, where people can see everything, and um, it's really easy to know how much something is worth. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I have a good answer to that one. No, I think I, I mean I think that's a fair answer. You maybe maybe you wish that people could know that there's a way that they could have a lot of the data that they need all in one place and. What you guys have done, um, what you built over the last several years has provided a lot of people, a lot of transparency. And uh, I remember talking to you right at the beginning, right? Like right right near the very beginning, you and I had some conversations around what you guys were trying to do. And, and you've, I think, been true to trying to do some of those things. And a lot of people are using those tools now. And uh, I think you guys do deserve a tremendous amount of credit on that. Leor, my favorite parts of these conversations were the going back and forth on the Kobe's where we were talking about like the difference between rare, super rare cards and like less rare cards in terms of valuation and stuff. That stuff is super interesting. I've got another 50 other questions that I'd, I'd love to ask you, but we are officially out of time. Uh, do you have anything, anything that you want to sort of leave us with? If anyone has any optic insert one of ones, DM me. That's what I'm looking for. I love it, dude. It's awesome. All right, guys. Uh, thank you to Lior for joining us today. And until next time, happy collecting. Thanks for listening to the Basketball Card Podcast. Reminder to subscribe to Basketball Card Fanatic Magazine at bcfmag.com. Remember to use discount code BASKETBALL10 for 10% off 
any item in the store. That's bcfmag.com.